Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, I know how I feel after last weekend. Give it to me straight, man. How you doing over there? The number of days that go by make me feel better, but I don't feel great. I no. was not in a good place. I was I was in Ohio this weekend, and we watched the game. We had, we went to B-Dubs to watch the game, our game. Obviously, Ohio State game was that night. And let's just say during the Ohio State-Wisconsin game, I was really bad company to be around. It, <laughs> it was I, – I just wanted to go to bed and go to sleep. I feel bad because I was probably terrible to, to, to be around – but I was in a bad place. I knew that it could have been a trap game. I knew a lot of things about that game. But I just didn't expect it to go the way that it did, or at least as badly as it did. It's probably a better way to put it. Well, at least you didn't go to the game. And I made the mistake of going to Syracuse. What, what could I possibly have been thinking? Go to Syracuse. It'll be fun. Oh, my God, man. So I was really bad company during the game. After the game, I just got really, really drunk. I mean... I was there with two buddies and we got completely annihilated, like really, really drunk. Some Syracuse fans took mercy on us, bought us some shots. Um, But I can't say all the Syracuse fans were very nice (laughs) and I wasn't being very nice back, but man, that was brutal. Uh, Give us a cheers. I guess my cheers would be to Justin Fuente taking ownership of the loss. I guess what we've seen from some other teams not to call out people, but Notre Dame <laughs> being probably the most notable of a lot of responsibility getting passed around. But at the end of the day, it falls on the head coach. And Fuente quite articulately and clearly said he takes it on him for this loss. So I respect it. I like it. I don't like the loss, but taking ownership and coming out and taking one on the chin for your team, whether it was him or the scheme or people just didn't get up that day for the game or we just got outplayed maybe. At least he's taken some ownership for it and I like the way that's perceived by his players, the fan base, and just everybody in general. Cheers. So we did manage to have a good time before the game. Ran into some other Hokey uh, Twitter people that I had never met in person, but we had a good time at the bars beforehand. And actually, the bright side of the game was they sold beer in the stadium, which was an awesome bonus when your team is down 7 nothing right off the bat. But uh, the place is really weird. Like, we, we said it was weird, but I had never been there. I don't think you've ever been there. And you get in, you get into that place, and it's... It just has a different feeling, and it proved to get the best of us. Syracuse won 31-17, to and in the first quarter, I, I just said it, they scored right away, 58-yard pass to Irvin Phillips, and it, it seemed that we were going to be in for a game right then. We scored on a field goal after a crazy catch by Stephen Peoples on the sideline. It was 7-3, to and the Syracuse defense was really aggressive and got a lot of nice push early in this game. They started with a trick play to uh, bristly esteem for 84 yards from their running back who passed at Strickland. It was 14-3 to at that point. 
defensive battle for the rest of the half. We blocked a field goal. Um, then we missed a field goal. Then Syracuse made a field goal, 17-3 to at the half. We scored on our first drive of the second half, so you thought things were kind of turning around. Nine plays, 83 yards, really nice runs by McMillan on that drive, and then a dime pass to Isaiah Ford kind of on a fade. And he tied Antonio Freeman in touchdowns on that pass. But we missed the extra point. So it's 17-9. to Interception by Edmonds in the end zone. That was pretty sweet. Then we returned the favor. Evans threw an interception in the end zone after uh, a long play to Cam Phillips to get us inside the 15-yard line. And then there was a missed field goal by Cuse after another successful drive at the end of the third quarter. In the fourth, we got a touchdown to Bucky Hodges on a wide receiver screen and a two-point conversion from Cunningham, and we tied the game. And at that point, I was thinking, we're definitely going to win this thing. The tide had turned in the second half. And that next drive by Syracuse was killer. It was 17 plays, 70, 75 yards, and it was six minutes. And they scored on a short rush by Eric Dungy. We could not get off the field. They had six third or fourth down conversions on that drive, six. And um, like I said, the TD by Dungy, they went up 24-17. They added another TD on, four, on a four-play drive after that where there was no tackling, and they went up 31-17, and that's how it ended. Wow. It was it was got. rough. It was rough. I mean, uh, it, how did I'm, you feel in the second half when we were coming? I mean, did you have the same feeling I did is that we were going to win this thing? Well, we texted back, back and forth in the first half, and both of us thought we were going to lose the game. I think that was consensus. It just seemed that way. You could feel the momentum shift in this game after the two long TD passes, one from their running back, which... Right then, I go, this is going to be a crazy game, which is what I wanted to avoid, which was high scoring or just getting very fluky. And that was one of them. And then a little bit later in the game, you had that 31-yard pass down the left that went uncontested, basically, by Adonis because he thought the guy was going to be out. And then you find out that his foot is in by... Maybe the the narrowest margin I've ever seen in my entire life coming off of the ground, which was how his foot was in. And at that point, I never had another good feeling about the game, including when we tied it up. Really? My wife was calling me negative Nancy and anything else she could because she thought that there was a real... She thought the way you did, that there was a chance that we could come back. But as soon as they went up in the game, and even when we came back and it was 17-17 they had nothing to lose and Dino was playing like he had absolutely nothing to lose in this game and it scared the shit out of me the whole yeah, time. Yeah it was like it was a bowl game for them. They they put out all the stops, did all the weird crap you can do and you're right Fourth, they did, went for forward on fourth down five times in the game and converted four of them. Yep and then you know, we blocked the field goal and then we missed the field goal. And right then I knew it was over. You know, we get that opportunity. And as soon as it's there, it goes down. And you're down by two touchdowns with only three points on the board going into the second half. I can't feel that good about that. Well, I was impressed with the fact that we threw that, t- that interception in the end zone and then managed to come back and score and still tie it up. Because I thought that interception in the end zone was like, oh, crap, this is – we we don't have a shot. like this. And then when we scored that touchdown and got the two-point conversion, I really did think we were going to win. Yeah. 
I guess but it was it was tough. Let's let's do more of the you know our, our negatives in the game, and, and it has to start with the defense. They really struggled. They could not get off the field. I I was talking about that one drive where they converted so many third and fourth downs, but in the game, Syracuse converted. 14 of 26 third and fourth downs, which is a crazy percentage and just killed us. Dungy had a huge day at quarterback for them, 417 total yards, 311 passing, 106 rushing, 28 for 53. Yes, he threw 53 passes and two touchdowns. I don't know, man. There was just – I don't know what was wrong with the defense. They they did not come to play and – our corners were playing so far off their wide receivers, at least definitely early, and it continued to go throughout the game, and they were just cutting underneath of us with these short passes. All game they were doing that, and I think it really got set up early on. It it really, everything really started to take its toll in the first quarter with the two long TD passes. That put us on our heels, and we yeah. softened up coverage, and Bud Foster, I don't think he told them to soften up coverage. He may have, but I think they were people were just skittish of getting beat deep. And we gave up all the underneath routes that anybody could want. It looked like a prevent defense. It looked like fourth quarter in the NFL when you're playing, you know, fifteen yards off the line of scrimmage, trying to make sure that you can lock down the game and get the win and just make sure you don't miss anything deep. It looked like that all game. And it did. I think we were on our heels. Yeah, and you probably make a good point there in that because of those first two touchdowns, whether it was Bud's advice or not, the guys just they ease back a little bit. They you're right. They were maybe trying not to get beat deep, but it killed us, man. And I don't know, on offense, we weren't getting any push, especially in the first half. I mean, the defensive line of Syracuse looked like Tennessee out there. It, it was ridiculous. A lot of people are going to go after the defense in this game, and I believe me, they they don't get any they don't get any sort of a free pass. And, and in fact, they get plenty of scrutiny for this game. But the offense was no better. All right, yes, I think that Syracuse came out and had a game of their season. Quite frankly, yeah. I, yeah. that they did. There's no doubt about that. However, this defense is not when when Stephen Peoples is our deep threat. That's a problem, right? When 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 he caught that pass, that was another reason I was I was thinking to myself, man, this is really getting to be a little bit weird. We used Rogers again as running back, and that pissed me off, which was bothering me. You know, all season, and then we started to correct it, and then we went back to it again. But we put up 468 yards of, of offense. Great. I, I get it. I see the headline numbers. However, this defense is atrocious. Louisville put up 845 yards of total <laughs> offense against this defense. Okay? UConn yeah. put up 425, which is this, almost the same what we did. And Notre Dame... And look how Notre Dame's doing right now. Granted, it's a lot to do with their defense. Put up 654. So this defense is not good. And yes, they played lights out, and they all played out of their shoes in comparison to what they normally would. But our offense needed to be more efficient. And then Gerard Evans started pressing, 
which I can get it. He's a Juco guy. This is the same, first time against a, an opponent that he should beat that he gets put up against the ropes. And then he throws an interception, uncharacteristic where he threw it in comparison to what we've seen so, from him so far this season. Definitely. So I I don't feel that great. Even if this, I thought that the the downside of this game would be turning into a shootout. I didn't expect in what, has pissed me off since the game is I never expect we would only score 17 points, right? I can, I actually can, I can actually understand the 31 from Syracuse more than us only getting 17. Yeah. And when you have 468 yards of offense, even though you just, as you just pointed out against this defense, that's really not that good. You should score more than 17 points. And we had a, I think it was a touchdown call back on a penalty and we had the interception in the end zone and and just stalled out a bunch of times after after you know getting down the field a decent decent bit and yeah you're right I can understand the 31 from Syracuse a lot better than I can understand the 17 that Sam Rogers thing you mentioned it is perplexing at this point eight carries for what 21 yards and on the season, I think he has like 32 carries for 106 yards. I think that experiment can be over with. We have Marshawn. We have Trayvon. We have Shy McKenzie. If capable running backs, I don't necessarily think it's all Sam's fault because he, I think, is a decent runner. But whatever positions they're putting him in, and some of it's to make sure that the other team knows if Sam Rogers is on the field, it could be a run or a pass. So you have to do it sometimes, but I don't think you have to do it eight times. I don't think you have run him eight times when you have better athletes to carry the football. 100% agree. And then McMillan started to get some momentum. And yeah. I was, and then we went away from him. Then we, then we passed the ball when he was running it up the gut Yeah, and getting a lot of, it wasn't, Huge yardage, but it was four or five yards a carry, and then we went to the the two passes on third, on second and third, I think it was, and incompletions on both, and then we were out. It just seemed awkward. Yeah, again, I felt that there was some susceptibility up the middle that we didn't take advantage of. We did a little bit, and we had success, and then, like you said, it it was stopped, and. Um, I guess one of the key stats of the game was that we were only 4 of 13 on third down. Where they were succeeding in staying on the field, we couldn't do that. And that was a big problem and and really led to you know why we couldn't put more points on the board. And gassing our defense because we couldn't sustain yeah, They drives. were wiped out by the end. Like I said on that last touchdown that Syracuse scored, one, the game was pretty much over. But two, the defense is so tired. Well, the last time that... 100 plays got run. The last time that happened, Andy Bitter tweeted it out, I think was Syracuse way back when. So, And that was three have, overtimes. <laughs> exactly. And this was, <laughs> yeah, the, that was, the defense was gassed. It's no excuse for their play early on and towards the middle of the game. But towards the end, it's no surprise that they scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. I mean, you knew that was probably going to happen at some point if you were keeping track of how many plays had gone on. Yeah, I guess I was just hoping that after we tied the game that they would get a little bit of juice and be able to stop that drive. And they came close a number of times. Like I said, they converted, I think, two fourth downs and four third downs. So the defense was was getting close. They just couldn't get cues off the field, and they went ahead with that touchdown on that 17-play on that drive. 
let's just name a couple players that had decent games. I thought Tremaine, of all the defensive players there were, he still managed to have a good game. Uh, 16 total tackles, 1.5 tackles for loss, and he's leading the team now on the season with nine tackles for loss. He is definitely one of the best players on this defense, and he wasn't having to cover a lot of those wide receivers, so maybe that's why he was one of the few that had a good day because they have a lot of athletes, like we had mentioned in our preview, that that can make some plays. But Tremaine did have a, a decent game. 16 tackles is a lot. Of course, when you're getting 100 plays run on you, I guess you're going to have to make a lot of tackles. <laughs> Ford had a nice bounce-back game. He didn't have a catch against UNC and had to leave with an injury, and we weren't sure exactly how he was going to look in this game. Eight catches, 83 yards, and a nice TD catch. Uh, and like I said earlier, he did tie the record with Antonio Freeman. Or did he go ahead, maybe? No, um, I think they're tied up. 22 touchdowns total for his career now. Yep. Cam had a couple nice plays. And Bucky, five receptions, 79 yards, and a touchdown. I like what I saw from Bucky in this game. I thought he might have had the best game of anyone on offense. Well, I think it makes sense because... Gerard Evans came out and said himself, they started giving us a different look and some pressure against um, a lot of the wide receivers. I think Bucky just found himself open more because Isaiah Ford was getting, they were putting a weird look on him, kind of pressing him in, and he couldn't get open. It was messing with Gerard Evans' sight line, I'm guessing, or at least where he thought he could get an open pass. And it opened up Bucky a bit, but not to take anything away from him. I think, I think he had a really nice game. Final takeaways, I think it's one of those situations we talked about it, and unfortunately, I think we got a little blinded by how well we had played the previous three games, but this had all the makings of it. I mean, I have we talked about it in the summer, how nervous we were about this game. We have Miami five days later. All the guys on the team are really starting to feel themselves. I mean, it, in hindsight, it makes total sense while still making no sense. <laughs> It, in hindsight, it pisses you off while making total sense. Everybody thought that this was a trap game. The players all heard that everybody thought this was a trap game. Fuente heard about it, talked about it. I don't know if it was much of a trap game. It, it, well, it was. I just think that Syracuse came out and wanted it, wanted it more, played like they wanted it more, and had a really nice game. I mean, they yeah. played really well. That sometimes is the answer. There's teams all over the nation that get beat, and this is not to excuse the loss. There's teams all over the nation that get beat by people they shouldn't. You look at what happened this week, near near misses for, for Clemson and Louisville both by opponents that they should be beating pretty handedly. Yep. It happens, and we we came out, and they wanted it more. Now, it's just the way it went, and things went their way. And the defense, actually, this game could have been a lot worse. There could have been two more touchdowns up there. You had the stop on the goal line. I think we take this game and we readjust what some were having as lofty expectations of a playoff or things like that. Everything is still in our control. We lo we won UNC. We lost Syracuse. What everybody thought was going to get happen just got reversed. Take this and take the punch on the face and use it as a positive to come out with a ton of energy against the game that we're about to preview. This can just as well be a positive for the team at this point. We're not out of anything. We still have chances to do 
everything that we wanted with this season and take it as a positive that you got out outplayed by somebody that wanted it more. Well, I won't take it as a positive, but I know what you're getting at. Use it as a positive going forward. That's a better way to put it. Use it as a positive. <laughs> How's that? Um, okay. Let's take a beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, right now I'm drinking the Hop Cooler. It's a citrus IPA. Uh, Ninkasi Brewing Company, which we've had on here before out of Oregon. I'm getting as many of these in as I can before it's already getting cold. So we're, we're I'm pr- probably well beyond my prime for drinking this type of beer, but it's nice. I'm in a heated house, so you know if I want to drink a a nice citrus IPA when it's 65 degrees or 60 degrees out, then I'm going to do it. I like it. It's it's actually pretty good. I want to try that one. It sounds right up my alley. I am drinking the Duck Rabbit Amber Ale. And Duck Rabbit is a brewery we have not had on. And they have not so many beers, but I think maybe like half a dozen different beers. It's from Farmville, North Carolina. It's 5.5% alcohol, and it's their Amber Ale. It's pretty good. I have I can't even remember if I've had this before or not, uh, just in passing. But it's a tasty Amber Ale. Definitely light, uh, not malty much at all, and uh, we could use some more North Carolina beers, so this is good. Farmville, North Carolina, the Duck Rabbit Amber Ale. Let's talk about Miami, and as we were kind of taking the higher-level look at it at the end of the Syracuse game just now, if you look at this from the higher level, you see us coming off a tough loss and playing home on Thursday night. This feels like a good spot for Virginia Tech. We tend to play better when expectations are lower. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but to me, if we had gone and wiped the floor with Syracuse, I feel like I'd be more nervous about Miami than coming off this loss. 100% agree. That's absolutely true. I, I, there's This team is turning into what I would characterize, which I like, as long as people aren't talking about it, like Gerard did, a team that plays like Michigan State, which is, yeah, don't give us any recognition. The old school Virginia Tech, that's how we started our roots, is don't give us any recognition, don't pay attention to us, but at the end of the end, at end of game nine in the, in the year, you're going to be like, holy heck, we have to worry about those guys. That's the position I think that we really do well in, and here we are again. So now we get to play with nobody looking at us, with nobody talking about us. I like it. Well, they'll be looking because it's national television Thursday night. But I, I hear you. The the national commentary uh, will go away for a couple weeks here. And we'll see how we do against Miami. And it particularly will go away because Miami has now dropped two in a row. They're four and two in the year, one and two in the ACC. And they're just lost to UNC. And before that, they lost to Florida State by one. They did beat Georgia Tech for their only ACC win, but as most people know, Georgia Tech has kind of disappointed yet again this year. They were 4-0 and number 10 in the country before those two losses, and people were talking a lot about them, and their defense was playing really well, but they're a little nicked up right now. But when you think about Miami, to me, the first and foremost thing I think about is Brad Kaya. 
maybe Mark Richt will sneak in now that he's the new coach coming back to his alma mater. But this this team is about Brad Kaya, and he's been a sensation for them, or at least he was when he first got there. And some of the shine has come off Kaya. Would you Would you agree with that, Robbie? He was a dark horse Heisman candidate, and that's not per me. That's per a lot of national news sources that put him in the second tier for a Heisman candidate, and the shine has certainly come off of him. He's He's been, well, I think he's 10, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's that's not what we expected probably going into the game or into the season. And, yeah, the shine has come off, and I was big on him going into the season. I thought that he could have a breakout year, especially with all the talent that they have on that team. And it hasn't really shown up on the field. People were worried about Miami and what they would do when they started hitting tough opponents. Well, they had four relatively cupcake games, and when they hit their two tough ones, they lost both of them. Yeah, and that that is pretty much how it's gone. Kaya is interesting because he was really, really like – unexpectedly good when he first got there. I, I think he, he was definitely a highly rated recruit, but he played as a, as a freshman and, and he was, he was better than people expected. So he got a lot of hype last year. I actually don't think he was that great. He had a lot of weapons to, to play with last year and he lost a few of those. He still has some good skill talent, but it's just not the level that he had before. And you've seen his QBR now this year, it's 62.2 which is the lowest of any of his three years at Miami. And he's a junior. You figure, you know, that would improve. But I'm telling you, the loss of those big wide receivers that he had last year, whether it was injury, team dismissals, or graduation, he has lost some of that talent that that was really helping him out. He's still got the running back core of Mark Walton and Joe Yearby, who are both very, very good runners. They amassed a lot of yards early in the year against some of those cupcakes and have struggled more lately, but they are both very talented. Walton is averaging 5.6 yards per carry, and Yearby's at 6.8. They have 14 touchdowns combined, and they definitely can catch out of the backfield. They haven't been doing it as much as they did last year, but they they have uh, 9 and 10 catches, respectively. And at wide receiver, there's really just two guys that are standing out. And last year, I think they had four or five. Stacy Coley and Amon Richards. Am I missing anyone? Nope, you got it. And I think they're... The one thing that does scare me about these two guys is that they catch the ball deep. They do have another deep threat, uh, Herndon. But Amon Richards is averaging 21.1 yards a catch, 359 yards and 17 receptions. And Coley's over 300 yards, six touchdowns and uh, 12.6 yards per catch. So when they do pass, it's getting down the field. They have one of the highest yards per play in college football. They're seventh in the nation in yards per play, which I was blown away by. Well, I think Brad Kaya has shown that he he has the talent. He has the arm strength. He can absolutely be a great quarterback. He just hasn't been consistent this year, right? All those stats point to toward consistency, especially the deep ball. So when he's on, he's on, and he plays pretty well. This season has been completely off, and I just don't want to see him get back to the norm of what he at least is capable of from what most scouts have talked about him. 
one of these days he's going to turn it on, and I just don't want it to be towards us. Yeah. The last guy I want to mention is David Noku, their tight end. And he's 6'4", 245, and he has 14 receptions, 230 yards, a touchdown, and he's averaging over 16 yards a catch as well. So you can throw him in that group of the two wide receivers and him. I mean, it's a similar situation to what we're dealing with with Ford, Phillips, and Bucky. And, and we, there's some other guys. I mean, Sam Rogers is a big contributor to us, and we have good running backs too. But it's kind of similar in that they're searching for other playmakers. And But Noku is definitely a good player and someone we need to be careful of. Their offensive line, Kai has taken some shots, and that's one of the reasons for his struggles uh, the last two weeks, he's been dealing with a shoulder injury. The extent of it, we don't really know. But against Florida State and UNC, his completion percentage has dropped to 55%. And it was uh, on the year, it's 62 So he was doing way, way better before he took a shot right at the beginning of the Florida State game and kind of messed up his shoulder. So that's contributing, has to be contributing to to his poor play. But their offensive line has still not allowed very many sacks. They're 24th in the nation in sacks allowed, only giving up one, a little over one per game. And they're fifth in tackles for loss allowed at only three and a half per game. So on paper, the offensive line is playing well despite some injuries. But Florida State did have seven tackles for loss on them and three sacks. So against a good defense, you should be able to hit Kaya. And I'm hoping that's what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Mark Rick came out. I think it was today, and said during the press conference, there's no, nothing wrong with Brad Kaya. He's fine. Basically pushed it away. And we'll get to this a little bit later because it applies even more to the defense. Said he's no longer giving comment or talking about or putting out anything on injuries for their team, which I thought was actually pretty interesting. That usually means that there's there's some problems, but he says Kaya's good. He's fine. He wouldn't be out there. This offense, I think it's ranked 38th in the nation based on advanced stats from Connolly, is what I had down. And I don't I don't put anything in that at this point because I've what I've started to learn. Virginia Tech actually moved up in advanced stats overall this week after a loss to Syracuse. That is a delayed metric for what's actually happening in the team. It's not a forward-looking metric. And I think that's going to matter a lot more because I think our offense is going to be more meaningful to what happens in this game than our defense. Our defense just got is getting roasted right now by the fan base, by everybody, by the stats. I think they're going to come out with a chip on their shoulder and they'll be able to hold down this Miami offense. I think things are even more important on the, or sorry, uh, uh, on the other side of the ball, which is what our offense is going to do against their defense. And that's where I think the edge starts to come to play for for Virginia Tech. All right, let's talk about their defense. Manny Diaz has done a pretty good job so far as their new defensive coordinator. He has their defense at twelfth in the S and P. And I said their offense was 7th in yards per play. Their defense is 6th in yards per play. They're only giving up 4 yards, 4.19 yards per play. And uh, they're 14th in total defense. Although the last two weeks they have significantly dropped off. Again, the level of competition came up. 
and Miami has lost both of those games. And they've given up 433 yards per game against Florida State and UNC, teams that at least I'd hope were on a similar level as uh, offensively. And one thing about this defense is that's changed dramatically. And one of the reasons you can kind of throw out some of the stats and especially some of the advanced stats for havoc and stuff. Cause if you look at their Miami's havoc stats, they're right there with us. They're right at the top, but their D line is extremely banged up. Uh, Chad Thomas and Demetrius Jackson. They're two of their tackle for loss leaders uh, are both might miss the game. Thomas has a broken hand was, was playing through it last week against UNC and went out with a leg injury. Demetrius Jackson, there's still we're still waiting on a verification of what happened with him, but it didn't look good. It was a knee. He's probably going to be out. Uh Cortell Jenkins, their other uh defensive tackle has missed some time, but he's he's playing, but the the story of this defense is they've been really really nicked up. And and one more to that, Celtic Redwine left the game last week as well, and that's one of their cornerbacks. So that's another that's maybe we won't know because Mark Rick won't put out anything and he won't talk about the injuries. That's another person that went out last game because of injury. Yeah, the Florida State game and the UNC game took a toll on them big time. Absolutely. They still have a talented defensive line. R.J. McIntosh, Kendrick Norton, like I I mentioned Jenkins, he's going to play. Joe Jackson, he's got three and a half sacks. Trent Harris, four and a half sacks tackles for loss there's a lot of guys that can still play and the thing about this defensive line is they brought in the missouri defensive line coach this year and we mentioned it in our summer preview missouri has put so many defensive linemen in the draft the last few years that was a great hire and he has had this defensive line for miami despite the injuries playing an extremely high level we'll see if the injuries will catch up to them against us because i think were one of the better offensive lines they've played. I I don't know. I know UNC's is good. I'm not so sure about Florida State's. Um, but other than that, the other ones they played really weren't that great. This defensive line can play. I know that. It's just that these injuries, I think, are going to catch up with them this week. I agree with that totally. In Mark Rick at the beginning of the season said that they were thin at a lot of positions. And a lot of that is probably coach speak or maybe what he saw, you know, back at back in the olden days of coaching in the SEC where you can recruit so much, well, a pretty high level. Miami is up there with the tops, but he said they were pretty thin. Taking injuries like this is cannot bode well for them. I think that losing two, potentially I should say, losing two potential you know defensive ends in this game that could be really, really bad for them. And I hope we scheme around it if we do find out that they're out of the game. But I feel like it's going to catch up to them on, in this game, in this environment, at home, with what's going to be an offense for Virginia Tech that wants to come out and prove something. I think that's how I would summarize it, is Gerard Evans... He was not used to this type of environment. He wasn't used to seeing himself on Sports Center and getting that kind of recognition. And now he knows what it feels like when you don't don't win against the team that you should beat. 
And now I think we're going to come out really hungry, and they don't have the depth to defend against it. And I think what Fuente does, trying to stretch it out, uh, and you, I've already been complaining about how we never go inside. If you're losing defensive ends, that plays into what he likes to do already. Um, their, their defensive tackles are still strong, even though Jared Willis is another guy who's been missing games. Uh, I think around the edge, we could definitely see some space. Their linebackers, Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pickney, they're solid. Uh, they both are averaging five tackles a game and both have five tackles for loss on the season. Pickney has two and a half sacks. And they are, they're good linebackers. I don't think they're next-level linebackers. Uh, in the back end, Corn Elder is a beast. Rayshon Jenkins, easy for me to say, is also a beast. They both have 31 solo tackles on, on the season, extremely short tackling DBs. And, I mean, Elder does it all. He's second on the team in tackles, three-and-a-half tackles for the loss, two sacks, five pass breakups he's kind of like jeremy cash last year for duke he's just all over the field making plays and they also have jamal carter senior and jaquan johnson in the back end as well their dbs you know it's funny their pass defense really hasn't been good but they're they have some playmakers back there so i i really don't know what to think that's the weird thing about miami it's like they have the injuries on the defensive line but it, it's they're still playing well and they have playmakers in the back, but their pass defense has gotten lit up a little bit the last two weeks. So it really makes it difficult to predict what's going to happen in this game. They play an aggressive style. Uh, Manny Diaz like kind of prides himself on that, and, and, and Bud does too. It's similar in that way is that they like to really get after people. That might play into our favor. A little bit of over-pursuit situation going on. Uh, and... I guess we should transition into how you think our offense will attack them or you know, just, just our keys to the game in general. I guess keys to the game is, we talked a little bit about this earlier today, The it's going to be a game of emotion and momentum. I think that's it. Either of these teams can win. Miami, when you talk about depth, yeah, it's it's depth. They've lost a few key starters. But the way that they recruit and the recruits that they're bringing in are highly talented. They may not be experienced, but they're highly talented. So they're going to be on the field. They can make plays. They're athletic, extremely athletic. It's going to be, can you come in and establish what you're going to do during the game? And in Fuente's case, mix it up in the right way that gets takes advantage of what's happened to the defensive ends on their side. I think their secondary is extremely talented. I think that's a problem for us to try and go middle of the field to deep without some really great schemes out of Fuente. And I don't, I'm not as concerned about our, our defense. I said it once already that they are going to come out with a huge chip on their shoulder. I think that Bud Foster was looking at this game as a big key Thursday night game that was going to mean a lot. And we may have kind of overlooked what ended up being a really strong offense for Syracuse. My key for the game is the same as it always has been throughout this season. This team, if we find ourselves in a hole or down a touchdown or two touchdowns, what are we going to do to bounce back? 
and we haven't done it yet. It still hasn't happened, and I'm taking the Liberty game out of it. To this point, when we get down or a play call goes the other way and it ends up in a long pass or whatever the case may be, what are we going to do when we're up against the ropes and it's time to actually perform? And if that comes out in this game, then I that that's that's going to be the sign for me that this team's ready to go up against Pitt and finish off the season and actually do something this year. I think it is a critical game, especially on short rest, to establish what Virginia Tech's about, not just for this season, but for the f- seasons moving forward. It's Fuente's tone going into this season, 2017, 18. What, what's this team going to look like? And I think it's critical. Evans needs to have his best game. And it starts and it ends with Gerard Evans. You said in the Syracuse game, his numbers looked okay, but if you watched that game, you could tell the offense just didn't play that well. And he had that really bad interception. He needs to be smart with the football. And I don't mean just with not throwing interceptions or fumbling. I mean with, does he make the right read? Does he put it in Trayvon McMillan's gut when there's a gaping hole up the middle? Or does he take it because he's too nervous about uh, he's not sure if he's going to make the right decision. Those are the things he needs to play as close to perfect as possible if we're going to win. And I know that's kind of a scary thing to say because (laughs) playing perfect is difficult, but he has played a number of good games. If we get just a little bit of improvement over what his best has been, I think we can win this game. Not, Not easily, but it can be a convincing win even if the score is somewhat close. I think we'll be able to get rush yards on this team, injuries to their defensive ends, as we've mentioned a couple times now, the aggressive style they run. I think we'll be able to run the football, but I really think the the mid-range passing game is going to work well against Miami. I really do. Mitch Trubisky got absolutely shit on by our defense. He came out had 300 passing yards against Miami's defense. We need... Evans to have that same kind of response against Miami's defense because of what just happened to him at Syracuse. Defensively, we need to bounce back. I I fully expect that it will happen at home on Thursday night. The fact that Bud's going to be, you know, chewing them out all week. We need to stop their running backs first. And then hopefully that pressure will lead to, you know, getting some hits on Kaya because as much as Mark Rick wants to downplay the injury, it's affecting him. And if we can put some hits on him, it's only going to exacerbate whatever thing he's got going on with his arm. I think the lack of receiving we- weapons they had last year is a, is a real detriment. And with our secondary and the way they were playing prior to Syracuse, they will get back on the horse and they will defend the pass really well in this game. It's going to be hard fought, but I expect to win. 27-20 is I'm ballparking it at. I agree with a lot of your points, and I would say that if we come out with Syracuse impacting our secondary, that's going to be trouble. Our secondary needs a clean slate. Forget about what just happened. Forget about getting burnt. Forget about the underneath routes and play aggressive secondary like we did for all those games before that. We cannot have a hangover for what happened in that game, especially in the secondary that could be big trouble for us and hundred percent agree. I'm still 
I don't know if it's an uncomfort or what it is, but Gerard Evans still every game is making bad reads on the option, and I can't figure out what the hell he's doing. And maybe it's just a discomfort or he just doesn't want to lose the ball. But we've taken care of, for the time being, and knock on wood, the the turnover situation on the ground, fumbling the ball. He needs to be confident to stick it in the gut or hold the ball. Right now, he's holding the ball more often than not because he's scared. I think, my guess, is because he's worried about the, the handoff transition. We need to figure that out now and get him confident in being able to give the ball to the running back in the read option. I think it's just a default for any quarterback who's not comfortable with the reading the defense, and, and that's what Logan Thomas would do too. Like There would be an option, and he's like, you know what, screw it, I'm taking it. And that's, that's what quarterbacks do when they're slightly uncomfortable. When you're comfortable and you're making the right reads, you trust your running backs, your pitchmen, that they're going to gain the yards because that's a better play. And that's where he needs to be at in this game. Let's do a beer break, and then we'll do our final analysis with our picks against the spread. So, Pete, what are you drinking over there? I am having the Great Lakes Brewing Company Dortmunder Gold Lager. I've had this a number of times. I've seen it on tap at a few places in D.C. And if you don't know Great Lakes Lakes by now, you should. It's from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, it's one of the best crap breweries out there. Everything I've had from there, I really, really like. The Dortmunder is a classic gold lager, 5.8% alcohol, so it's got a decent punch for being a lager. It's very crisp uh, and very tasty. The Great Lakes Dortmunder Gold. I highly recommend it. What are you drinking, Robbie? I went with a, I guess you could call it local. We're in D.C. It's Baltimore, Heavy Seas, Brewery. The Loose Cannon, it's their generic IPA, nothing special. It's on shelves pretty much anywhere that you go. I think on the Eastern Seaboard. I haven't gone down to Florida and tried to see, but I think they have a decent distribution range. It's kind of a, it, of craft beers, it's a Sierra Nevada. I would consider it of, of beers. It's good, not great. It's got a little bit of hop to it. It's kind of balanced. Sure, some people like it because it's not too hoppy, but I'm kind of a hop head, so I'm probably skewing what it actually is on that. It's good. It doesn't have anything. There's there's nothing that really sets it apart from other beers. I'd probably rank it in the middle tier of many of the IPAs that I've had on here. It's a good pickup if you're at a grocery store and you can't find anything else you like. I wouldn't go out of your way to get it. <laughs> Is that, the, is that good? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like the loose cannon. It's it's a good solid beer. I'll put it that way. But I, your assessment solid. might be closer to to right. All right, let's pick these games. The first game is going to be Miami against Virginia Tech, and the line right now is Virginia Tech minus four. We're a four point favorite over Miami at home on Thursday night, and I like Tech in this one. I kind of leaked out my score prediction a little earlier. 27-20 is the area I'm focusing on, and I think that we will cover those four points. I think it really helps that Brad Kaya is not a runner based on what happened to us last weekend and what's happened to us in the past. And for all the reasons we stated earlier, I think we're going to cover those four points. Robbie, what do you got? I 
this pick, without getting into too much detail, I'm using based on some of our comments or at least one listener's comment that we may have jinxed us in the last game. So I'm going Miami 30 to 28 Virginia Tech. Mojo. Just got to just the juju of this game needs to be important. And I'm picking it that way in hopes that it cuts the other way. I appreciate that. All right. Next game is NC State at Louisville. Louisville is number seven. And they are, again, big favorites, 20 points this time, as opposed to the the 34 or whatever it was against Duke last week. You know, the Wolfpack has been very surprising. Just took Clemson to overtime. They surprised me in the Notre Dame game. They surprised me in the Wake game. I like NC State to cover those 20 points. Both of us, NC State, not so much because we – I got burned with the huge spread against Louisville, but NC State kept up with Clemson. I'm using that as a barometer. And I think Louisville, they they will win this game, absolutely. I think NC State keeps it close with their offense. Next game is Syracuse at Boston College. Syracuse coming off that big win over us. And BC is a five-and-a-half-point favorite despite that. You know, this is weird when you got a team coming off a big spot like that on the road, and BC's defense, their numbers are still up there. Uh, I'm going to go with Boston College to cover that five-and-a-half. I don't have a whole lot of reasons why other than maybe I just think Syracuse will come down a little bit. This is a tough one. I'll go Syracuse against the spread. BC hasn't really shown a lot this year, and their defense is still very, very good. But Syracuse could come on a big high against Virginia Tech and let it down, but I think that they'll hold up with Dino. Okay, next game is UNC at UVA. UVA kept it close with Pitt for a while last week, and UNC just came off the big win against Miami down in Florida. UNC is number 22 after that win, and they're seven-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going with UNC. I think they're going to keep rolling. I don't think UVA is very good, although they've played better lately as well. Uh, I'd like the Tar Heels to cover those seven-and-a-half. Robbie, what do you got? I was perplexed by this line because UVA's – well, Pitt's defense is not very good, so that's why I thought that game would be pretty close, but Pitt would – kind of close it out at the end. I'm going UNC. I don't see that much on UVA side of the ball that's going to go well for him, especially since Mitch Trubisky is trying to do so much after the loss to Virginia Tech in his subsequent games, including ours and the next one. So that's it for the ACC matchups this week. There's only four games, but we're going to pick three of the big SEC games. And the first one is Arkansas at Auburn. Arkansas is number 17, Auburn is number 21, and Auburn is a a 9.5-point favorite. All of these games are going to be tough to pick, but Arkansas at Auburn, hard place to play in Jordan-Hare. I'm going with Auburn. Even though it's 9.5, I'm going with Auburn to cover that 9.5. I think they'll win by 10 or more points. Arkansas has been a little funky this year, and I think they're a good team, and they're coming off a big win as well, but I like Auburn at home. I'm going to take Arkansas. Arkansas didn't didn't 
play that well, but they at least kept up with Alabama. And we just saw what just happened to Tennessee. I'm kind of pegging people versus each other. And a lot of people are on the Auburn hype train now. They say that they've turned it around and are playing well. I think Arkansas is going to... I think that they'll end up winning this game, but I'll I'll take the points. Next game is Mississippi at LSU. That's Ole Miss at LSU. And Ole Miss is number 23. LSU is 25. And LSU is a six-point favorite. I like LSU at home. And I think I'm deferring to the home teams on these two because they're really hard for me to pick. But I like the home field advantage in Baton Rouge. And Ole Miss, while they were just killing people earlier, you know, they disappointed me. So I'm going to go with LSU. I'll go with Ole Miss just to keep it interesting. But (laughs) I actually think that they'll end up pulling this one out. And the last one we're going to pick today is the big one. It's Texas A&M at number one, Alabama. Texas A&M is number six. And Alabama is a 16 and a half point favorite. It's hard not to go with Alabama with how much they've been killing everyone. Dismantling people. (laughs) Literally ripping their limbs off. Their defense has more points sometimes. Defense and special teams had more points than... Tennessee's total offense. It's been amazing. They have been so good, but just like we were on a real roll there, I'm going to go with Texas A&M to cover that 16 and a half. And there's a lot of differences. Uh, and the fact that, you know, no, Alabama's not going to the carry dome. They're actually at home, but I just think Texas A&M, someone has to keep it close for Alabama. This can't keep happening, right? Like the, the system is such that, Somewhere or another, you're going to have a close game. But we'll see because they have been killing everyone. But I'm going to go with A&M. Who do you got, Robbie? Did you just reference the Matrix? Like it has to balance <laughs> out, I think, at that point. I, I think I've gone against Alabama in every pick this season. The same thing I did with, well, I guess not totally Tennessee. And I'm going to go with A&M. I think they have a lot of star talent on their team. Alabama looks – most people have said there's all the rankings, 2 through 25, and then there's Alabama five spots above everybody else. What they've been doing on special teams, what they've been doing with their defense, who have scored those two combined a ton of points, and then on their offense. I think A&M has a, a lot of talent on that team, and if somebody's going to keep it close – Forget Auburn later in the season. I'm picking, not picking Auburn. I'm picking Alabama. I don't care what the spread is. I think A&M is the closest we're going to get to somebody that can just beat the spread. All right, so you're taking A&M then? Yep. That's it for picks, and that is it for the podcast. We have one more announcement that we will be doing another on-site recording this year. The day after the Miami game this Friday, come to the River Mill at noon, We're going to be doing our Miami recap and our pit preview. Come have some lunch, have some beers with us. Hopefully we'll all be celebrating a big win and it'll be a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun last year. Got a little sloppy, but please come out if you're in town. Should be fun. As always, thanks for listening. Hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT. If you have questions or comments, email us. It's 2DeepVT at gmail.com. And until Friday, go Hokies. Go Hokies.